Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We're excited to bring you back again, one of our favorite humans. We are talking about stand-up comedian, director, executive producer, five-time Emmy award-winning host, author, husband, father, and one of our friends, I'm hoping, uh, we'll add that to the list, W. Kamau Bell. Welcome. We are so excited to have you. I'm Yay. excited to be back. I'm, I, I really, I feel very, like I said, am I a host now? I feel very into this. <laughs> and host, co-host of yeah, Bitch Talk say, Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like a fill-in host. Like, yeah. Like, uh, like, like, on, like one of the extra people on The View who's on like every three weeks. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, except you bring the calm. You don't bring the crazy like, no, like some the- people on The View bring. But, um, but we're here to talk about some really exciting projects that you have going on. We have season seven, I believe, of United Shades of America. Magical number seven. Yes. Magical number seven. And you have a book called Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book. So we're going to talk about that and everything else. And we're going to and all of our feelings uh, and cry so, uh, and probably and cry, we're probably going to cry. Uh, but but first, usually I come here to cry. That's what I, I <laughs> safe space. I have my tissues right here. But before we get into everything, can you introduce season seven of the show and your book to our audience? So, yeah, so uh, season seven of United Shades coming in hot uh, July 10th. I don't know when this comes out, but July 10th, uh, but it'll be around. Um, uh, so the first episode is called, oh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember, we had a different title for it, but they didn't want that one. It's called, it's called The Woke War. I think we had World War Woke. <laughs> <with something. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too aggressive. So, uh, yeah, so The Woke War, it's all about really focused on schools and the debate around people trying to get critical race theory out of the elementary schools, even though critical race theory was never in the elementary schools (laughs) and, uh, and sort of the demonizing of wokeness, which as a black person, I know woke just means, Hey, pay attention, be smart. America's dangerous. So, uh, and so it's about that. And then we have episodes this season after that, I think we have, uh, black in Appalachia, an episode about black folks, black communities in Appalachia. And we have an episode, I don't know the orders, we have an episode about wildfires in California, which is very near and dear to probably all of us, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm excited about. I actually get to light fires. I get to light the forest on fire in a good way in that episode, uh, <laughs> controlled burns. And uh, then I have an episode called Asian Americans in the Spotlight, because we couldn't come up with a better title. But we, so we just wanted to do <laughs> what it is. This is what it is. Like we, we had all these clever titles. Like, how about we just say what it is? which is about a large part. It's about Asian Americans in media and entertainment and sort of the response to 2020 and the stop Asian hate campaign and all those things. And so, uh, which features a young up and coming media star named Lisa Ling. I'm, giving, I'm a nice person. So I'm Friend, of the, show. Friend, Friend of, the of the show. Friend of the show. It also no, has a No lot big of, deal. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, it also has a lot. I mean, Hari Kondabolu's in it. Jenny Yang is in it. Mm-hmm. Yang is in it. Um, Helen Cho. Forget oh, Helen Cho. Cho. Do not forget oh, Helen Cho. Not, screw, forget Helen Cho. I don't know. <laughs> She doesn't uh, like to. She doesn't like to claim me as a friend. So I'm. I'm done with Helen Chess. Just <laughs> I love her with every piece of my being. Helen. I had to like really. You don't know. I had to actually text her and like order her to be in the show because she was not answering yeah. emails. That was so, going to be a question for me because we've interviewed her and, and uh, we know that's not her favorite yeah. thing to do. But it's like it's the thing that I. It's actually my job to make her do those things because she's like. <laughs> So we've had a we've had a long conversation. So I had to like she was trying to avoid uh, giving dates, and I finally was like, just respond to the email. She's like, okay. <laughs> uh, Helen Cho, uh, Julie One, who's a who's a uh, uh, local politician here in uh, in New York, and a bunch of uh, Chinese American kids who have a podcast called The Dragon Kids. It's a I'm really excited about that episode. Uh, and uh, there's more I'm forgetting. Uh, Yuri Kochiyama's granddaughter. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you already know. So I guess so. Yeah. And uh, who else did I miss? And then um, 
We have a episode about a- uh, athletes and, and, and mental health that's based mm. in Boston, uh, where I get uh, tossed by three. Ve- they're not tiny women, but they're much smaller than me. So I get to, <laughs> like, three very tiny women toss me quite easily in that episode. They're all wrestlers. And, uh, and I, also, I also do some rowing. And then we well, have, what was worse? Was it what was worse getting tossed by the women or, or trying to throw a baseball? I won't give away too much. Uh, <laughs> you, you actually, have you seen these things? What are you? Are you yeah. Oh, we've seen oh, them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's this is the best. Uh, <laughs> We're digging uh, so deep right now. Kamal. Trying to throw the baseball was more embarrassing, but it took me days to recover from being thrown. That was the last thing we shot in that episode. And it took me like a full week to like I was like, am I broken now? Like, I just thought like, like <laughs> Am I never going to walk straight again? It took me. I, I sent very sort of. I felt very angry at the producer. I'm like, that's. I mean, I, I volunteered for it. I wanted to do it, but we sort of did a lot of the athletic stuff on one day, so that day really. Mm. But yeah, and then um, oh, an episode about uh land the land back movement that takes place largely on uh, the Pine Ridge Reservation. So yeah, we have a we're we're doing the damn thing. And then, and then Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah, Hawaii. Oh, my God, Hawaii. I love that episode. We, and Me we too. Back to Hawaii. I, I love going to Hawaii and letting native Hawaiians just spit hot fire. <laughs> like, I, just love, <laughs> <laughs> I love finding – I love just going like, tell me tell me why it's not okay that, that us mainlanders come here and tourism up all over the place. I love sort of sitting back and just mm-hmm. letting it go. Hold on a second. Rawr! So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> And actually, that episode, I, in that episode, if you if you saw it, I, 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 lear- I take a surf lesson and I surf yes. for 11 seconds. But the really beautiful part about that is that uh, Jody, who was one of the surfers in the water, actually, and the scene was even more crazy than you can see on film. There was like two cops on, um, on what do you call those things in the water? Like sea doos or jet, yeah, yeah. jet skis. To make sure the CNN guy didn't drown. So they were just like <laughs> circling in sea doos. And there was a... Uh, <laughs> The sound guy had his boom mic in the water, which I was like, I don't know how that works. It was, so by the time I actually did surf, people on the beach applauded because they was like they, they didn't know who I was, but they were just so happy that whatever we were trying to do, like you know, it was like a low budget Michael Bay movie or something. And, uh, and then Jody actually rec- like recommended her husband to teach my two oldest daughters to surf, who they went surfing the next day and they got up like eighteen times. Of course, and, yeah, they're so. kids. I mean, but it was really the, the lesson of that episode was like, if you go to Hawaii, make friends. And so while we were doing mm-hmm. the episode, I was like making friends. And so it was like, instead of like, we're going to go pay for somebody to teach you how to surf. We went to, we met somebody who's like, my husband can do it. And then we went to him and he taught them. And it was just a very beautiful experience. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, did you want to talk about do the work yet? Or we can go there after. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I, there's so many things. There's uh, so many, you're doing so many things. So for the use, I'm super proud. It's a is a book that was inspired in the most awful way possible by the murder of George Floyd, uh, by uh, cops in Minneapolis, and it was that COVID time where we were in lockdown, and mm-hmm. I was booked on like I was booked on more white people talk shows, like white men talk shows, than I ever been booked before. And I sort of was like, I'm saying the same stuff over and over again, and clearly it's not working because racism is still alive. And so I reached out to my friend Kate Schatz, who's the mm-hmm. co-author of the New York Times bestselling Rad American Women series. And I was like, Kate, what should I tell Conan O'Brien? I'm, I'm yes. trying to tell these white guys the same thing. And she was like, and so she pulled over her car with her son in the back. And we went through like a bunch of different things because I was on Conan in like 10 minutes. And in that that conversation led to the spark for being like, how do we sort of get people to actually engage with anti-racism instead of just sort of reading about it and feeling better about the fact they read about it. So it's an activity book for adults done in the style of like the kind of books you get your kids for the summertime that so their brains don't go to mush. So it's an activity book, games, puzzles, coloring pages, uh, checklists, like quizzes. It's like a whole thing, but it's for adults. And all the art and illustrations are designed and, and drawn by uh, artists of color, black artists, indigenous artists. It's yeah, so it's a it's a real labor of like activism and love. It's sort of a, a like the our standard was we call the book funny but not fucking around. Mm-hmm. So and we really were like we have to make this book so that like for example it's like my so my white mother in law will read it and learn something and get something out of it, but also like Alicia Garza the co-founder of Black Lives Matter will be like, no, you did the damn thing. So it has to be really like, it has to be done in a way that like our activist friends don't think we were like full of shit. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was surprised. Was that was no, no, I was going to say I was surprised. Uh, or was there a conversation in that title 
where maybe it was going to be do the fucking work exclamation <laughs> point. I mean, it's for what I want. They're swearing in the book, but I don't, they didn't want swearing on the cover because that, oh. that limits your ability to like, <laughs> not every bookstore, only the indie bookstores will put books with swearing on the cover, like in the window, but like your, uh, your bigger chain bookstores frown upon that. So we had, we, there was a lot of talk about how much swearing, where is this word? Because even the idea, we say it's the, the motto of the book is funny, but not fucking around. That's not really anywhere in the press for the book. Oh, <laughs> that's got it. We, and they, they don't mind that we say it. They just like, we, we don't think we're going to get the Today Show if we say that too many times. So, yeah. Oh, so is that what's holding us back, Kamal? Because we're called Bitch Talk? Yeah, is that it? It is. It is what's holding us back. We need your PR person. This is an yeah. intervention. <laughs> I've been wanting to tell you about this for years. I wrote a book so I could have the intervention about the name of your show. Bring well, the banner. Yeah. Let's get it. We need it's, an intervention. It should just be nice Asian American girls yeah, talking yeah. talking to celebrities. We that should be the show. I could sell that show over the phone to show business right now. Yeah. Well, the second title was Fuck Your Model Minority. You know, at yes. least we didn't go with that one. <laughs> Too many words. You, you know a lot about that now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that'll yeah. be the next iteration of the show. OK, my <laughs> one of my questions of many, uh, what surprised you about uh, shooting this season, like happily surprised you? Because oh, I could I go like, dark. I could go dark, but like, let's go light. Go we can go both. I mean, because okay. uh, happily surprised me because there felt that there were some I didn't get to see all the episodes, but there's some good levity. In some of the I shows. mean, we really did like so. With the pandemic season was pretty dark, which I think it was appropriately yeah. dark. Like we, yeah. did not, I think it was like I don't think we, and also we just limited by the fact that you couldn't really just do a lot during the pandemic. I mean, we're still in the pandemic. Let me be clear about yes. that. I <laughs> uh, but like the season where we were out before the vaccine, pre-vaccine season, you just couldn't do a lot because everybody was nervous and scared, including me, mostly me. And so we just couldn't. You just wouldn't like. You couldn't like really make decisions on the fly. You had to, before anything happened, you had to get everybody tested. You sort of wanted to keep everybody six feet from each other, so it just wasn't a lot of spontaneity. So it really was a thing this season to try to like bring the comedy back in, which I was sort of resistant to because I don't want it to feel fake or forced. But mm -hmm. like I think so that we just you think about like let's just make sure it's more physical. So there's a lot more physical activity this season. I think one of my favorite things this season is I really advocated for in the sports episode. I was like I just want to run against somebody who's really fast. I just want to like. <laughs> I, me and my wife, Melissa, always talk about the fact that, like, in the Olympics, you should have a regular person, you know, just like a... For context, for context. Because you're at home, yes. I can't believe that the guy from from Finland came in. I would have done better than that. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. Like, it's like there's, like a, there's an NBA, an ex-NBA player named Brian Scalabrini who says, I'm close, who's like a journeyman. He played for years, but was not very good. He's like, I'm closer to being Michael Jordan than you are to being me. Like that's uh, like just the idea that like yes. every pro is way closer to that than you than a regular person is to being a pro. So, <laughs> so for me, like I just was like, I just want to see what it looks like, and so we did it, and and so and it's funny, it was hard. Like the producer was like, I don't know, we'll try. Where are we gonna find somebody? And it was there. I had to keep pushing this idea, and now it's like in every trailer for the show as we get in. Getting dusted, <laughs> properly dusted. And my run, which is a little more Steven Seagal than I would like. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sure your daughters love that scene. I I, I know that we, we interviewed you for a past season and I talked about how I loved seeing you dance. Mm -hmm. I do miss seeing you dance. Did you take that out of your contract or something? Because I didn't, I, you know what it is? I just felt like there people, every producer was like, in every episode was like, and then maybe you'll take a salsa lesson. But we're in Native American country. Why would I do that? <laughs> like, like, why would I, like, it became a thing where everybody was just like, it was a shortcut to like, we're trying to get some humor in here. And so I was like, I really did have a like, no more dancing unless it's actually a part of the scene. So, uh, you know, but yes, the, I, I'm happy to dance, but I felt like it became a real lazy trope of the show. Like, <laughs> you know. I don't know. I need it. I need it in my life, we'll but it's okay. I promise there'll be more dancing. I just felt like, you know, I think really the subtext of the show is watch come out, do things poorly is also the subtext. <laughs> But it, is, but it is across the board in in everything you do from your your comedy, your stand up comedy to your show, to your book. You know, we had we had the luxury of kind of flipping through it digitally. Um, you take oh, we'll these... get you we'll get you real copies, please. Let me make sure. That thank you. Thank okay. you. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But uh, you just have this unique way of taking just the darkest topics and still informing us, but in just a really optimistic way. So I'm curious if you would consider yourself an optimist? That's a great question. But first of all, I want to give you all credit. You're doing the same thing. 
I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not, like, I think we're all doing the same thing. I mean, that's why the show's called Bitch Talk and not just, like, Angry Talk. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you're, <laughs> you're saying, let's bring some levity, but we're also fired up, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that, like, I, you know, and I think that's why I was happy to work with Kate, uh, Kate Schatz on the mm -hmm. book, because she's doing the same thing, too. And it really, I really relied on her, because she's got a much deeper level of knowledge than I have about a lot of these things, but also is funny about it. So it was really, like, I feel like there's a lot of people... I think the only way to process one of the key ways to process pain is humor. Obviously, you know that's why the like the funniest stand-up comics. If you look at the history of stand-up comedy in America, the funniest ones are from the most oppressed groups. You know, like mm -hmm. the ones who are you know the ones who sort of are just, are like the geniuses and heralded above all. Like even even George Carlin is just a white guy from New York. <sighs> but if you hear but if you listen to his life, he grew up busted. <laughs> like you know, so it was like he he stays he's pushing against his own oppression. You know, so I think that. Uh, for me, it's just about the fact that, like, I wouldn't, this is, I didn't know there was another way to do it. I mean, I get that, like, and I also get the value of doing it the way I do it. Like, I just did an event with Ibram X. Kendi in Berkeley. Oh. And not that he's not funny, but I'm funnier than him. I, I think that's <laughs> we'll I give think you that. that. Like, the thing we did, that we worked well together, and I was like, he is really eloquent and says stuff and is fired up and powerful. And I'm like, and a joke to make it go down. You know, like, so, <laughs> and I don't think, my thing is more valuable than his and his thing, but we're all pulling in the same direction. And I think especially with the place America is now, we all got to do what we can. If your thing is crocheting for justice, then crochet for justice. Like, I think that we all have to figure out what are our skills. We have a part of the book that's called a, uh, a check your privilege, which is literally a checklist of privilege just to see what are your privileges. We think of privilege as being white privilege, but like I'm 6'4". Mm -hmm. I know that being 6'4 is a privilege generally. Like, yes, sometimes I bump my head, but overall it's a privilege. So, you know, like tall people get paid more. Like they, they've done studies where people think you're better looking if you're taller. So I know that that is a privilege that mm -hmm. I didn't give myself. My mom just said that that guy's six foot six. He'll make me a tall kid. And that's how it happened according to her. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like, I think that we all have to sort of look at like our pluses you know, we're sometimes we get those of us in these oppressed groups or impacted groups or other words you want to say are looking at our minuses a lot. And I think it's it's like we have to look at our pluses and go, what can I do? And then if you're not, if you're in a group who's not oppressed, then you've got a lot of pluses. That, and that's what the book is aimed at. People who are like who have all mm -hmm. these pluses, but generally get caught up in like I mean, the whole joke of the book was like this book is dedicated for people who after like George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and Breonna Taylor, like all these white people are like, but what can I do? <laughs> and you'd be like, here's a list of things. I know, but what can I do? And they like, so, so it's like, if you just would, so here's a list of things that you can do. There's organizations you can join. There's there's actions you can take. There's ways you can be a, like a racism interrupter in the world. And if this doesn't do it, then you don't really want to do the work. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the episode, The Woke War. Or what was the woke it's world? The woke war. It is the world woke. World war, war woke. I know, but what was the alternate? Uh, world uh, war uh, woke. World war woke. Maybe that's too hard to say. World war. Yes. Woke. <laughs> Whose brilliant idea was it to include Elon Musk into that conversation? Because that I fucking hate that guy, and I love that he's a part of that conversation. He takes, stray, he takes strays a couple times this season. I know there's another time that he's just sort of like we bring him in. Uh, but yeah, like that was that was me. I was the one who was Thank like you. providing all the like I was like, and also this clip, and also this clip, because those things come to me because the algorithm knows I get frustrated by them, and mm -hmm. I just think he is a talk about a paper champion or an emperor who's got no clothes, who's not even Oof. an emperor. Talk about just like to me, it's like <laughs> we do this thing in this country all the time, and it's like it's we do it with all where if you're good, if you're really, if you're rich, that means you're smart. Mm. If you're good at if you're really good at one thing and famous, that means you're good at everything. So like and I would say, like, for example, Ben Carson is the other example of it. Oh. Like, I get that you're like some sort of genius neurosurgeon, but that's it. That's where the genius ends. It doesn't go anywhere further than that. And I think Elon Musk is like the fact that that dude is weighing on a wokeness. Let's be clear. Elon Musk didn't invent shit. He didn't invent Tesla. He didn't invent right. cars. He's a he's a rich kid who invested in things. I'm not saying he is not smart in tech, but and I certainly it takes an eye to go, oh, that's the next thing. But he is not any sort of like 
any sort of grand wizard of tech or grand wizard of culture the way he's framed. And so I'm happy to take the take those shots. I mean, when when the story was out of him buying Twitter, I like yeah. left Twitter for a good bit of time, just like yep. I don't, if that's gonna go through, I think I'm gonna have to reconf reconfigure everything that's happening. Turns out, like a lot of things, it's a lot of bluster. I don't know if he is gonna buy Twitter, and if he does, I'll still figure. I might not. I might have to go elsewhere. Not that Instagram is any better. Right, right. Just, <laughs> you just pick your point. You pick your social media poison. But it was like I. Can, I don't think I can support that guy in any more way than my, than I than I have to. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm Elon Musk is a thank you paper champion. Yep. While we're throwing names out there, I did want to get into your wardrobe this season because I yes. love I love all the Oakland hoodies and yep. shirts. But Oakland there is one there is one shirt that I noticed you wore more than once. Oh, it's your uh, Chisholm for President seventy two yeah. Catalyst for Change. <laughs> Tell me about this shirt uh, I, and yeah, your I mean, wardrobe. I, <laughs> so, funny. so as you can see, I got to wear my own clothes this season. I <laughs> so when the show first started they wouldn't they just wouldn't let me pick my clothes it was not even a thing and i and a little bit i sort of like i was like oh you're gonna buy me new clothes but then it became clear that every city we went to they would run to like the local outlet store and just buy the biggest sizes of whatever clothes were there oh. and so like there's an episode of the first season when i'm doing it's the uh Mex this episode in uh east la and boyle heights where I'm wearing a shirt that is so big, they had to put a paper, they had to put like a like a clip, like a binder clip in my back, so it wouldn't look like I was wearing a muumuu. <laughs> Nothing wrong with muumus, but give me a proper muumuu if I'm going to wear a muumuu. Uh, so like, I, like it was just really clear, like you guys don't care about what I look like at, on TV at all. And so, the second season, the second and third season, we hired, we fired basically all those people. <laughs> like we got it through. <laughs> And then that, then we got a new showrunner who was much better. But it realized some point like you're you're making me dress like you. Like, I, was like, <laughs> I said I look like I look like I feel like I look like I look like a dad on his way to pick up his kids from school. Like there's just something very sort of like basic and generic about it. And sometimes I'm like I was just various words like today I look like divorce dad. Like dad on the way to pick up his kids from school, and I'm a dad, but I don't, but I purposely don't dress like that kind of dad. And so then by by the time we moved to ZPZ, which is where we're at now, yeah, they mm. just are like, just go do what it, they were used to working with Bourdain. Nobody told mm -hmm. Bourdain what to wear. Mm -hmm. So I was like able to like get what I wanted to wear. And I was able to like, and nobody was ever like, are you wearing that? That just never, they were like, we're trying to make the show, pick out your clothes. And so every season now, there's like certain things I get, I get excited about getting new t-shirts for the show. And I just really love that Shirley Chisholm shirt. I just thought, I do like, who's got a yeah. Shirley Chisholm shirt? And so I, and also I just really, Please to put things on TV that aren't related to the topic, but maybe you'll make somebody Google something. So I probably wore that shirt eight times too many, but I was really, uh, and you know, Oaklandish. I just go there and go, what's yes. the new things? Mm -hmm. What are the new things? And so even though I wouldn't even normally wear, there's like that, I don't know what color it is. That It's the color that people find. It's either green or yellow, depending on Yellow, color. yeah. I think it's, I think it's green. But I, I think it's green, but yeah. Anyway. So, <laughs> the same color of the Gatorade that I call green Gatorade that you would call yellow Gatorade. Uh, that like I just was like I would not normally wear that, but I was like if Oaklandish says this is the thing, then I'm wearing this thing. <laughs> like it's I just I just want to like if I want to be outfitted by Oaklandish at all times. We do too. Let's I'm work. wearing my Oaklandish now, shirt oh. right now. Oh, nice. Okay. And then today on, for then, you. Yes, then today on CNN, I've been wearing this shirt. Just I know. I just saw Fox News wrote an article about it, so mission accomplished. Tell the of people what it they says. Did. Tell the people what it says, Kamal. It's from shoutyourabortion.com, and it's uh, it's a shirt that's a black shirt that in bright pink letters, block letters, says, I will aid and abet abortion. That uh, they were nice enough. I know those people over there. I know Amelia, and they were they were like, would you Amelia, like us yeah. to send you? I was like, would you like us to send you this shirt? And I was like, I would like you to send me that shirt. So uh, <laughs> membership I, does have its privileges. I bet it fits, too. It does just fit. Just saying. <laughs> wardrobe, wardrobe. Come on. No binder clip in this shirt. So. <laughs> uh, I, I want to thank you. I haven't seen the other episode you did about Hawaii, um, but I, I appreciated this one for the fact that every time my husband and I go to Hawaii, we're always asking ourselves the same question. How can you not be an, or what was it? How can you not be an asshole and live in Hawaii? Yeah, oh yeah, but, it's, like, uh, it's, it's like, can you be, can you travel to, can you, can you, can you uh, travel to Hawaii and not be an asshole? Yeah, can you move to Yes, and, and I, questions? Yeah. it is the constant conversation for us. When we go there and just a few weeks ago, I was like, could Hawaii really just survive on their own? 
I would love that for them. Can you talk about diving into that episode? Uh, literally, so, figur- yeah. so, figuratively. All, and also loving seeing your wife on there, too. Yes. Uh, I, thank you. I, that was, yeah, that was, uh, I was happy to put her in the thing, too, because it just felt like that episode is about my family going to Hawaii. They were in Hawaii at the time. And I think the producer thought I was trying to hide that. I'm like, I'm not trying to hide that. Like, I'm not, you know, like, I'm not trying to be caught with my family. Like, I like going to Hawaii. And I think Hawaiians... Whenever I run into them and in, in, when I'm there, like the, the Hawaiians are, appreciate the work I had already done on the other show. So I felt like I wanted to build on this relationship. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I was happy. And my wife's been going to Hawaii. She was the one who took me to Hawaii. I'd never been because I grew up back east where Hawaii is like, I'm not traveling all the way across the country, then all the way to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'll just go to the Bahamas is how it is on the other side of the country. Uh, or, or Puerto Rico, which is, there's other issues. We'll, we'll do that on yeah. the next episode. <laughs> cool. But, so full stop, Hawaii was stolen from the people. The, they, there was not a deal for for Hawaii to become a state. They will. They have all the. They have the receipts to say that Hawaii was stolen. Uh, it was taken over. Uh, we we talk about in the episode like Hawaii could easily grow all of its own food and yet imports like eighty percent of its food. I mean, Hawaii is like the luscious, most fertile, some most luscious, most fertile ground on the planet. They. But they have, but the, but a lot of their land is not owned by them. It is owned by corporations, and so, so basically, if Hawaii was cut off from the from food that was brought to Hawaii, Hawaii would starve in a week. Is what apparently, from what I hear, it would be like because they wow. they are there. That regular food is coming there, and yet, and last time I was there, I went to a place called Mao Organic Farm, and with this time we went to another farm where they're trying to like get Hawaiians to start thinking about yes. how do we how do we farm our own food. And while tourism, while people go, well, you have to support tourism because it's the only it's their major industry. But it's like, couldn't we have other industries? Couldn't we actually invest in people here creating other industries? Silicon Valley wasn't always making computers like it wasn't always Silicon Valley. It is a thing that 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 people there went and started up. And so I think it's about like giving people their access to their own ability to create their own lives and only livelihood livelihoods. And on top of that. The tourism industry doesn't pay a living wage to many people, so it is not actually even an industry that is worth saving for many Hawaiians. Think mm-hmm. like as we talked in that episode. We talked to to uh, talked to three women who are who are housekeepers in the hotels, who are union housekeepers, but have not been given their full hours since the pandemic, since Hawaii came back for from the COVID, even though the hotels are back up to capacity. But now all the hotels have pulled like uh, an okey doke saying. For your safety, we're not going to have your room cleaned every day. And we all go, oh, thank you. That is so nice (laughs) of you to not clean my room for my safety. And yet that means people are out of jobs. So Mm -hmm. Hawaii could definitely, you know, I feel like if I was to move to Hawaii, I would very shortly be on the like, like, how do we get independence from the United States of America? Yes. You know, because I think also if, if Hawaii was its own country again, a sovereign nation, uh, it could actually control its own tourism and, and create it. And if they wanted to have tourism, they could create it the way they wanted to a tourism that was maybe more about the country and not about building a resort that does that looks, that has the, the tent poles of fake Hawaii mm-hmm. and, and where Aloha is thrown around like the way I'm old. So the old Smurf cartoons where they said Smurf every <laughs> five seconds, that's the way they use Aloha in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely left a lot to digest, not just for Hawaii, but just in the way we travel in general. I mean, that can be said about anywhere we go. It's always the American tourists that embarrass the fuck Mm -hmm. out of the rest of the country. Uh, We're just notorious for that around the world. But uh, but I did want to touch back on your wife being on the show with you. And um, she says some really insightful commentary. (laughs) She seems lovely. I wanted to know uh, how she felt about being on camera with you. And I wanted to know how you felt by, you know, being upstaged by her in that moment. (laughs) I mean, I only brought her on so she could upstage me. Like, I definitely don't, I wouldn't bring her on TV to be like, now let me show you how it's done. (laughs) Like, I mean, mean, my wife comes from a theater background. She's got a degree in, in, uh, she's got a PhD in critical dance studies. She, she is a performer. So we were both performers. So, I, she wasn't like somebody who I was like, is she going to be able to be on camera? She doesn't have that. And she's also been around this version of my life. We've been together since 2003, which is like before anybody, before like TV cared about me. So she's been around this in all sorts of different formats. So I knew she could do it. It was really just about like, 
when we got when we sort of went there for the day, she was nervous, which I understood, and I had to sort of like, no, no, talk, talk, like you know, like like because she just did, she didn't want to do it wrong, and I'm like, there's no wrong, it's my show, and also we'll I'm not I'm, we'll edit out the parts where you did it wrong, like you know, so I really wanted to, I just it's really important to me, especially seven seasons in, that people really see me as a human and not the host of a TV show. And so some of that means there's there's shots in this where you can see my kids in the background, and I'm really care we're really careful about how much our kids are in things. Mm-hmm. It's like I sort of am so angry about the state of the world, and also want to be clear about like that I have a stake in the stake of the world, and part of that is being more vulnerable, even at a time when it sometimes feels scary. And also, I wouldn't put my kids on TV. They all understand like you're going to be. Do you want to be on TV? How much do you want to be on TV? There's sort of a lot of like so we talk about that stuff a lot. So. It really is just important for me. I really wanted to get away from the like. I didn't know I was the host of a show until I was nominated as at best as best host at the Emmys. Like, oh, I'm a host. Okay. <laughs> I thought I just was a guy with the TV show. And I understand the hosting part for me is getting people comfortable to talk. It's not like, hi, welcome to United Shades of America. So it's really important to me that people that I that I that I the more the more I'm going to be on TV, the more that I come off as a human and not a, and not a host. I wanted to ask because the first time we talked with you, you know, Bourdain had just passed away oh, wow. and it's, and, was that, uh, was that at the, at that event we did, is it? No, that... that was at your offices. Oh yeah. Oh, my office. A million years ago. It was right after you got nominated for the yes. first Emmy. Oh wow. Yes. So that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now you work with 0.0. You have been for a couple of years now. Is that right? Yeah. They've how, been the third season with them. How, how is that feeling? And it just, it's such a weird and interesting trajectory now where you're at. I mean, we, we, I mean, here's the thing. They are all very, like a lot of the, like Helen, Mo Fallon, me and yeah. Mo are the two, are closest. Cause Mo's the one who really, when we did the Kenya show, he was the one who sort of like mm. brought me into the ZPZ family. And actually in Kenya, he was like, you're a really good host, man. And I was <laughs> like, I am like nobody at that point on my own show had ever said anything like that to me. Like, so I always felt like a little bit like I wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. And Mo was like, just out of nowhere, he's like, you're a really good host. And I was like, is he trying to lie to me to get me? Like, I don't know. Why. <laughs> why would you compliment me unless you were lying? You know, I don't know if mm-hmm. anybody has that imposter syndrome thing. Yeah, always. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, so I was really like, just like, I, oh, thanks. man. I was really sort of, and, and we stayed in touch and then Bourdain passed away. And so me and Mo have become really close. We're really good friends now. Uh, we have kids. He has two kids that are around the same age as two of my older kids. And so you know, we bonded as humans and as dads and as and people who like really wanted TV to make TV that meant something. And then a lot of the other people there, like Helen, Michael Steed, a bunch of the editors, were all people who'd worked on Bourdain. And I would really like, we've never really talked about it, but I really felt like my show gave them a way to sort of like work through their morning a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it was like, it wasn't the same as Bourdain, it wasn't the same show, but it was a show that like also cares about the world and where the host actually is not coming off like a TV guy. He's coming off like a human. So, and we talk about, we would talk, I mean, Tony's name comes up all the time. There's times it, it mostly comes up in a way where we're all laughing or they're telling some story about something he did where he was an asshole, you know, <laughs> and but it also, sometimes it comes up and people have to take a moment and sort of like take a breath. And, and so it was a really, for me, it was a great way to sort of like further connect with his memory and his spirit. And also a way to sort of like, really get the benefit and the privilege of working with all these people. And San- oh, Sandy Zweig, who's the showrunner, who's also mm. showrunner of Bourdain, I got to sort of, she was the person who, like, all the craziness you saw on the Bourdain screen, she was the person back at the office going, making sure that they could pay the bills. And like, okay, you need a, you need a, you need a, you need a pig for the luau? I'll, okay, hold on, let me go. Like, she was like, you know, she was the person who did all these things. And, uh, and you know, it just really, I really felt really held by them and Chris and Lydia who run the company. Like, it was really like, it really, it's like, it's like, you know, sometimes you, I look at my career, it's like, it's like, it's almost like different, co- like I went to like, I went to, I went to like elementary school on Totally Biased. <laughs> I, went to, <laughs> I went to college on the first few seasons of United Shades. And then I went to grad school at ZPZ with United Shades. Mm. A sense of like, of really like, really aggressively learning. And then by this season of United Shades, because of the pandemic sort of people went and got other jobs because they couldn't, they didn't know what was going to happen. Also, if you're like a really talented person behind the scenes in show business now, you can sort of name your price because the pandemic sort of upended things. So people were able to get better jobs, which I was happy for them. Helen, Helen left me for Lisa Ling. I'll never forgive her. Take out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll never forgive her. I'm happy with Lisa, but I'll never forgive Helen. Um, and uh, 
And so we had a lot of new people this season. And I felt like by this season, I felt like, oh, I'm like teaching a class in United Shades of America because these people are all like new to the show and haven't done it. And they think they know the show, but they don't really. And so sometimes I'd get edits of the show and I'd be like, that's a C. Can you uh, work on these? Three? You know, like, I didn't say that literally, but I felt like. I felt like I would tell Sandy and then I was like, I feel like I'm teaching a class in the United Shades. I feel like it's very, which is fun, but also sometimes frustrating because you're like, I'm seven seasons in. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to have all these parts unknown people around me, but they're all have, you know, it's another way. It's one of the tiniest ways in which COVID has affected my life, but that's not the, the most, most key way. But yeah, it's just the, it's just what happened. Mm. Well, I think once you win your sixth Emmy, that gives you your PhD officially. So uh, yeah, yeah next year you'll get your PhD, but I do think, yeah, part of being a good host that people don't talk about a lot is is the VOs. Your VOs mm-hmm. are second to none. They're hilarious. Yeah. I'm laughing out loud, even yeah. in like really <laughs> difficult scenes. It's just the timing, the tone. Can you talk about these VO sessions? And are, are you just natural at it from all your time in stand-up or, or does it take some work? I mean, so here's, no, the stand-up, stand-up and VO are very different, I would say, because you have to really like, they're both about trying to sound like you're being spontaneous when you're not being spontaneous. But the difference is when stand-up, you're not actually like with VO, you're stand-up you're usually honing stuff over the course of several years. With VO, you get the script and you have to sort of like you only have gone through it a few times, but you have to make it sound like you've been talking. You have to make it sound like you're talking. Again, back to the early seasons of the show, I would just get sent, here's the VO. Do you have any light rewrites you want to do? By the time we get to season seven, either I'm heavily writing, like the opening VOs I'm heavily writing, or like the editor, the writers will write some stuff and I'll be like, and then I'll heavily rewrite them or scrap them all together and go, I don't want to do that. So, and then with Mo, we've really found, like we would get in the booth and I would just be like, I would do the VO, ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da. And then I'd go, ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da. And he'd be like, oh, that's the good part. Let's do that part instead. Or sometimes he would just let that stuff stay in the cut. Like the part where I'm like, but so there are times where like, and also I think some of it was the the nature of like, for a couple for a year or so, the VO went from being a thing that happened at a recording studio that happened in my wife's closet because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so the nature of it is like I'm in my breakfast shorts. Like I'm like I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just super. It, I'm also stressed about COVID. I'm just in a different frame of mind, so I don't have so it doesn't feel as performative as it did before. And then once we went back in the studio, I was like, just keep that same energy, as they say. So I would try to keep that same energy, and it's like really about them understanding that the VO is important. So instead of cut, instead of understanding that, like, like I look at the woke episode, there's a lot of stretches where it's just VO and B-roll mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I'm trying to make a point and build to a thing. Like the end of it is this rant I went on and I was like, they'll cut it down a little bit, but it's like, it's basically there. The whole thing about like, <laughs> where at the end I'm like, shout out Billy Joel. Cause I go on this whole fire. Oh, yes. fire. <laughs> yes. I was like, he has to mention Billy Joel. Thank I, you. Yeah, and it was just like, there was no need to do that, but it was just like, I did, I did a whole bunch of, we didn't start the fire reference. and to me that makes me laugh to think that in the middle of this the guy's gonna go shout out to billy joe like it's because some people aren't gonna get it at all although cnn's audience will probably get it because they're old enough to know that's (laughs) yeah cnn you're good i'm actually hoping billy joel hears it like i hope he just happens to watch and is like oh yeah uh but uh yeah so it's like for me it's like that level of freedom is what makes the vo my vo my vo which is different than bourdain's vo which is different than lisa ling's vo Cause like Bourdain also was really loose. Like he would, mm-hmm. they would sit down with the script and he was like, I'm not reading any of this shit. And he would just start to yammer apparently. And so, which they, they were, the editors would be like, could you yeah. just say, and then I went to the restaurant. <laughs> and he's like, I can't do that. <laughs> Specifically because you asked, I can't do that. I will say, and then I went to the restaurant just cause I'm trying to be, I'm trying to, I, I don't have that some, the same uh, gravitas that Bourdain had. But, uh, but like, I also want to be able to go like, you know, like I want to be able to like think there's a line that I, that I keep hearing in the promos on when I'm on CNN where I'm talking about critical race theory and somebody in this in the somebody this woman says, I'm talking to these three women. And I go, well, can you say can t- are teachers allowed to say that some things are bad? And like, no, they can't say anything's are bad. I'm like, you can't say slavery's bad. No, you can't say Nazis yeah. are bad. They're like, no. And I'm like, and in the video, I go, and that's why I grind my teeth when I. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, like that's not a line that anybody else would have written because they don't know that I grind my teeth when I sleep. And also, but it's like it, to me, it's like I don't want to sound like, oh, that's an interesting point they made. Next, I went to the restaurant. Like I can't do that. So yeah. 
And you can't just outright say "fuck you," right? So, no, you know, I, I'm grinding not really your that teeth. guy. <laughs> as much as I, as much as people sometimes want me to be, I'm just not that guy. I'd rather us all be friends, really. But I can't also stand when it's like you're gonna like. I laughed with them in the moment because I was like, "Oh my god, that's ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> Cry to, to your, keep them laughing. Yes. To your point of talking with people like that, which you do on every show, are there any folks in the last seven seasons that have gotten back in touch with you and be like, oh, that show or that moment kind of changed my thinking or the trajectory of, you know, what I was doing people, or people who are on the show or just the audience in general on the show that may not think the same way as you. I or mean, us. It's weird. From the very first early days of the show, like the clan members were excited when the show aired. Like I, there's I, this weird thing where like I'm nothing. People are just happy to be on TV sometimes. Okay. I think the thing I hear more like so I think it's like it's so I really wish that I like that I keep in touch with people from the show. Not not as much as people might think I do, but I definitely keep in touch. I keep in touch with more people than most hosts do, I would say that. Um and so, especially as the show's gone on, because I do realize that there's a power to the show. And there's also a sense that the people, like, there's people out there who are really good people who I want to stay in touch with. So, like, Lori Bertram Roberts, who is a an activist in Mississippi, who uh, I'd met in the uh, in the reproductive justice mm-hmm. episode that we did about the pink house in Mississippi, which is the last abortion clinic in Mississippi, which is recently shut down because Mississippi had trigger laws. And in that episode, she was just really fun and funny, the same way we talked about earlier. And like sort of was like, we follow each other on Instagram and I sort of just like stayed, like we send messages and I stayed in touch and what do you need? And I just was talking to her today about like, who should, who do you want me? What organization should I promote? And so mostly that's what happens is like, there's a sense of like staying in touch with people and trying to, you can't stay in touch with them as much as sometimes people want you to. But like, I do think that like, I don't know that the, I don't know that the show changes people in the show's lives as much as you might think, cause it is just a show. But I do know that, for example, like I see like one of the uh, one of the guys who was in a gang in Chicago will regu- was for a while posting on Twitter like clips from the show, <laughs> and he would say from my Emmy award winning show United Shades of America. <laughs> and I was like, good for you, man. Like good, yeah. Good. I'm glad you feel that level of ownership on it. From when I and he's and I you know and that show did win an Emmy. So I think that it's like I think there is a sense that people do feel like when people feel like the show has shown them well and they use it, they continue to use it in their lives as a way as a calling card. That makes me feel good. I, yeah. But there are many people that I wish. Like there's a woman I talked to in the Boyle Heights episode was like on her way to San Francisco State. That was seven years. That was seven years ago now when I met her. Mm. I haven't talked to her since. And she's either out of San Francisco State. And I think about her all the time. Like she was an undocumented, uh, uh, undocumented person from East L.A. She was going and she got into San Francisco State. Her family was undocumented. She was. And it's like I just wonder like where. But I don't. I was not enough in the control of the show where I would even know how to track her down. But mm. yeah, so if you're out there, Maria, but I just think it's like that, that I do as the show has gone on realize we have t- we have been in I've been in so many places with so many people talking about so many things, which is the thing that makes me then want to go like do follow up shows like go back to Hawaii or go back like we, the Black and Appalachia show. We went back to the same place we'd been to in the other Appalachia show where I first met the black coal miners and we ate in the same. We have a meal in the same Lynch colored museum that I've been in the first season. So it does make me it's why I want to return. Like I'd love to do a return to Puerto Rico episode and talk mm. to the people. Cause it, they, you know, so it's the thing that makes me go back. Cause I do want, I do want to feel like it's relationship building and not just like TV's here. See you later. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go back to Puerto Rico, you're going to have to dance. I'm sorry to break it. <laughs> but uh, be, sorry be to beat the, a dead horse, but I want more dancing. Anyway. That would be, I would a hundred percent dance. If we go back to Puerto Rico, cause that's the <laughs> dancing scene that my kids love the most. Although it's they're so also, good. They are also quite enjoying me falling off the surfboard, which they saw live. Oh. They love seeing it in the, they're quite, and, and also they liked in the sports episode where I get judo flip or wrestling flipped three times. They just think that's, God. that's the best. <laughs> the stuff where I dismantle structural racism and inequality, they don't, they're not as fans of that. We, yeah. <laughs> it's it's balance. They'll learn about the balance uh, as they get older, but, but we do have to wrap soon. I, oh, I just want to, I know we're sad too, but I, I did want to talk about one more thing. Um, your your episodes tend to end on a more positive note, or you know, what can we do to move forward? And yeah. I noticed a trend, especially with this season. You ended a lot talking to the youth, high school mm, kids, mm-hmm. 
who are so insightful, so wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know what you're, what you've learned, what you've taken from these conversations with the youth that can hopefully make us hopeful for the future. Well, it's funny. I realized when you asked, I was like, I never a- answered that question about being being an optimist. I'm sorry. Like I realized that. I was like, I never. I, In a roundabout I, I, way, you did. Well, but I, so I just, but I want to answer it directly because I think it's connected to this. I, I definitely, I, I'm not a pessimist because I just couldn't get through the day if I was a pessimist. I, I think being a black man at this point in American history, if you woke up as a pessimist, I don't know how you could get through, literally get through your day. As, a, mm-hmm. as an oppressed person of it, in this country right now, if you're not Elon Musk or someone who was, I don't know, I don't know how you'd get through the day, and, or somebody who hangs out with Elon Musk regularly, because I feel like then those people are in the same level of social strata. I don't know how you get through the day. But I am... I am a person who's like, I can be, I am optimistic if we do the work. And I don't mean that just to sell my book. I just mean like, that's the way the, <laughs> the title of the book came from. Like, we have to do the work. So I do believe that like, we can get through this if we do the work. Now, I know my climate apocalypse, people are like, it's too late to do the work. Well, <laughs> yes, I understand that. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But I do think that like, we could figure out structural racism in this country in, uh, in like two generations if we did the work. So the thing that it's funny ending on the youth i do the thing about ending on the i i want to try to make clear and this is what i said to the producers whenever we do a scene ending on the youth i'm not gonna say the children are gonna save us because i think that's a cop-out it's because it's putting too much on that group of kids i'm talking to at the end and also the same the, at the same time as we're seeing these kids who you feel hopeful about somewhere else in the country somebody is raising demon children mm-hmm and though, who are also going to be trying to do the opposite of what the kids we're looking at are talking about. But I do think it's important to go, for example, right now, there seems to be lots of confusion in the culture about like uh, whether trans people should be allowed to just be or, or where they should be allowed to just be. And a lot of that stuff comes from the older generation people who are my age, maybe the same age as me, maybe comedians. Uh, uh, I had a question about that, but maybe we won't go there. So, yeah, going. <laughs> but when you talk to younger people, Generally, they're like, like my daughter is like, like we went to some of my seven year old, my seven and a half year old. Uh, we went to the uh, on Pride weekend. We went to I'm trying to remember. the Yeah, uh, there's a, a skating event over in Brooklyn Basin in Oakland called mm-hmm. Rolling, Rolling with the Homos. And it's like <laughs> a roller skating, rollerblading event hosted by drag queens. I mean, it's so it's so great. It's so what you want the Bay Area to be. And uh, and. And at the and we and the end of it that we went home, we had a great time. My kids skated for two hours with all sorts of different types of people. I mean, it's like it's like drag queens and non-binary people, and like then like also a black dude from East Oakland, fully tatted out, wearing like matte leather roller skates, like you know, like awesome. black <laughs> roller. Like so, it's like it is literally everybody with his kids, and. And and then we got home that night, and then we were Juno was about to go to bed, and she's like. Was everybody there today? Was everybody there today trans? Hmm. And it was just like she just was like not sure and curious. It wasn't she wasn't mad about it. She was just like curious. I'm like, I was like, probably not, because I was like, I wouldn't really know. But I was like, <laughs> but I would say there were definitely some trans people there. But I would I don't think everybody was there was trans. I was like, you were there, I was there. And we sort of like laughed about it and kept going. But it was just her like, she understands what trans is, but she hasn't exactly figured out what it looks like is, is that is that what the event was about was it just about trans people was everybody there and we talked about it and then she went to bed you know what i mean like so she wasn't caught up she wasn't asking because she wanted to figure out what who who's a, who's who's a woman and who's not a woman she just was like i know there's tra- there's this thing called transgender we went to this thing today i seem to think i saw identified some of that is everybody there from that community no do you know okay and we keep it moving and so for me a lot of times i want to put kids on tv just to go the things that you're hung up on adults there are kids who are that you're afraid about kids finding out about there are kids in this country who are not hung up on it and it's true about racial issues it's true about all sorts of lgbtq plus issues it is true about all sorts of issues kid that there are kids who go i don't see what the big deal is once you explain to them they don't see what the big deal is so that's why I think I like to see younger people in there. Like there's younger people in the woke episode to be like, we don't even know what woke is. Like, why are you saying this? Like, <laughs> It's like an old people term to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what the 16 year old was like. I feel old when I hear the word woke. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's for me, that's why the kids are in there to go. The things that a lot of us people, a lot of us Gen Xers and boomers and are hung up over, 
there are generations of kids who are like, I don't see what the problem is. So nope. that gives me hope. But then, like I said, I know that there are also people raising kids specifically to not think that way. Whew. Well, thank you so much, Kamal. This has been a therapy session as usual. I hope it's, it's a always... good therapy session. I hope it's not like the kind where you then you have to like go eat a pint of ice cream because it just makes you feel like in your feelings, unless you want a pint of ice cream. Yeah, maybe ice it's cream. Both. It's both. So, yeah, it's so celebratory. <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah, this is we're always super honored to have you on the show. And yeah. this has been a real pleasure. The The season, the book, everything is incredible. Can't wait to see what you're doing next. Can you let the people know where they can watch season seven of United Shades of America and where they can purchase your book? Yeah, season seven of United Shades of America will be on CNN starting July 10th and on demand. So go to your parents' house because you don't have cable. You're listening to a podcast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it will also and then do the work, which is get it from your favorite independent bookstore and if you pre-order it and then there's a link on my link tree on my on my social media twitter and instagram where if you if you show your receipt you can get a uh in white supremacy tote bag which of course you want an in white supremacy tote bag so yes. yeah get that, get that so yeah pre-order the book because that will help us uh you know if, if the book does well then we'll end racism <laughs> <laughs> yay, yay. <laughs> Uh, you'll be out of work. What are you going to do yeah. then? I would love to be out of the ending racism work. I would love to, I would love, you know, I want to be a comedian because of Saturday Night Live. Then I'd finally audition for Saturday Night Live because I wouldn't feel so much pressure about doing the work. <laughs> uh, oldest, the oldest rookie on Saturday Night Live ever. Yeah. Well, good luck filling Pete Davidson's shoes. I yeah. mean, talk about some big shoes to fill there, Kamau. Oh, man, I have so many thoughts about Pete Davidson, but I've told myself I won't ever share them. <laughs> <laughs> So many thoughts. They're not all bad, but I just have a lot of thoughts. But I'm like, I don't have time to share Pete Davidson thoughts. It's just, uh, yeah. We, don't ju we just don't have time. We'll move you know, on. Will, once we, one day we'll have, a, we'll have a podcast without the recording, and I'll tell you all my thoughts. No, but, uh, yeah. I, I'm ready. Um, I'm hoping that's over beers with Helen yes. Cho and Lisa Link. Can we yes. all? Uh, that Can we just get that dream. coalition together? That would be a I'm, dream. You ain't got to. I'm, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> Whenever that happens, I'm there. I'll fly I'm, to New York right now. I'm not kidding. I, I'm there. I'm there. But yeah. <laughs> Well, we, we love you so much. Seriously. Yes. Thank you for always saying yes. And Anytime. it's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing the new, uh, that finding out the, when I come to the website, it says co-host. I look forward to <laughs> Oh yeah. Your, your face, your face is on the splash, splash page. Yeah. Photoshop is getting <laughs> right now in between me and Aaron in every picture. Yes. It's yep. just going to be your head right in the middle. Thank you. We have the to best. see you in, in real life at some point. Yes, please. I when the, when right the pandemic's now. over. 2028. Uh, yes. Thank you. Take care, Kamal. Thank have a you. good one. Thank you. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lynn. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. <laughs>